Jimmy Deans, not an actual sponsor, presents the yearbook. Internet Sportscast says in the yearbook at hotmail.com if you want to contact us. Oh, flawed Super Bowl matchup. The Chiefs and Buccaneers, or Mahomes and Brady, is the Super Bowl a lot of people were hoping for, although a lot of people were also hoping for Packers, Chiefs, and even Bills, somebody, since Buffalo hasn't won one yet. But we get Mahomes versus Brady, and so with Mahomes versus Brady, we get the new best player ever versus the current best player ever, and it may turn into the best Super Bowl ever. But the run up to it, was seriously flawed. The Chiefs look fine in beating the Bills in the AFC Championship game, but it's their tendency to not look fine a lot that worries me, like the Chiefs did in beating the Browns. Brady arrives having not played well in two straight playoff games. Brady threw three straight interceptions in the second half of the NFC Championship game, including one that receiver Mike Evans got his fingers on, but that in no way means he should have caught it. That ball was way too high. The Buccaneers had some bad drops. Not Brady's fault. But Brady was also too high on other throws, not including the interceptions. A win is a win, but Brady didn't look like the fancy guy in the promos. Not related is the late pass interference call on the Packers that gave Tampa Bay a first down and essentially ended the NFC Championship game. The thing with the call is it was pass interference, according to the book, But the technically correct call was unfortunately buried in all kinds of circumstances. In the end, pulling on an opponent's shirt tail, which the Packers' Kevin King did, is pass interference. But in the bad look department, up until that very moment, the referees had allowed both teams to manhandle each other in pass coverage. The referees were completely consistent. That's what's supposed to happen. That's a plus. Up until the biggest play at the end of the game. Also in the looks bad department, the flag came well after the play was over and well after Tampa Bay intended receiver Tyler Johnson's Superman off I go into the wild blue yonder like dive. Further compounding the situation was the two teams defensive styles. The Packers, coincidentally, played mostly by-the-book pass defense, while the Buccaneers, either because that's the way they always play, or because it was strategy, or because they knew how much leeway they had with this officiating crew, or because they just plain guessed, the Buccaneers were grabbing and pulling all game. Earlier in the game, Packers receiver Alan Lazard, while he was running a route, clearly had his shoulder pulled, while behind the same play, the Buccaneers clearly committed a hands-to-the-face penalty, but nothing was called. That was all semi kind of fine enough as long as the referees stayed consistent. And they did until the very end of the game when they called a violation they had been avoiding late after a dive against the less aggressive defense. It's not the wrong call. But unfortunately for everyone involved except Tampa Bay, it was surrounded by bad optics. I'm your host, Doug, and there you go. Finally, some evidence that low-revenue teams, teams without much money to spend, can spend to compete in Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays, not the Mets, are the ones who signed former Astro George Springer for huge money. So this was an actual free agent surprise. But smaller teams have also signed big stars before. It's happened. So is this an actual harbinger of parity? The Blue Jays aren't always one of the have-nots. Like most franchises, sometimes they're in the top half of MLB in spending, sometimes they're in the bottom half. The key issue for me 
is that only a small number of franchises, the same suspects over and over, have the money to always do whatever they want. They can keep all the important parts of their lineup intact year after year. They can afford to be in the running for almost any free agent. If they make a mistake in free agency, they can go out and sign someone else, and they almost always win the championships. So, what to watch for with the Blue Jays? Can they afford any other expensive players besides Springer? And will they be able to keep going after big free agents next year and the year after and the year after? Another team in a similar situation is the Padres. The Padres are historically much needier than the Blue Jays, but San Diego has become a recent major spender. Last year, that made the Padres exciting and a playoff team, but they didn't come close to the World Series. This season, the Padres are expected to be in the playoffs again. The keys are... Will the Padres actually make the World Series and be competitive? And then, will they be able to keep this up? Can San Diego keep bidding for big players year after year? Seriously, how did Deion Sanders become a national treasure? And why is Deion Sanders a national treasure? This was months ago because the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, did not release an all-tournament team for their fall tournament in 2020, the fall series. But... The NWSL and awards. Because of the COVID, instead of having a 2020 regular season and playoffs, NWSL teams played in two lengthy tournaments. The Challenge Cup was the summer neutral site tournament, and then after a break came the Fall Series tournament. If you don't care, or you don't listen to this podcast, or you don't care about this podcast, or you don't care to listen to this podcast, we've been campaigning for Kaylin Sheridan to finally win a major award. She's the goalie for Sky Blue. That's the NWSL's New Jersey franchise. And in 2019, Kaylin Sheridan was absolutely stellar, backing a horrendous team that played in terrible conditions. But when the NWSL released the list of its 2019 best 11 players and second best 11 players, Kalen Sheridan wasn't on it. In other words, Sheridan somehow didn't come close to being considered even one of the league's best goalies. In the 2020 Challenge Cup, goalie Sheridan was even better. She came back and she was unbelievable, so unbelievable that she won the Challenge Cup Golden Glove Award, which is given to the tournament's best goalie. But when the NWSL Challenge Cup Best 11 came out, the tournament's best goalie didn't make the list of the tournament's best players, which includes a goalie. What the? This has happened before with many victims, and Sheridan has been ripped off more than once. In 2019, the aforementioned 2019 Best 11 contained a lot of famous players who didn't play much that year because they were in the World Cup, and it omitted a bunch of the league's actual best players. The league's players released their own list, and it was a lot more accurate. And now again, in 2020, Sheridan was named the best goalie, yet she didn't make the league's best 11. Someday... Her documentary, which will be a Canadian documentary because she's Canadian. Someday her documentary is going to talk about how Sheridan was unappreciated in her era. And that will be accurate. In the meantime, is there any other pro league whose awards contradict each other? 